Doing great. Somebody said that out there. Doing great. It's good. It's, it is good to be here. I mean that. What informs how you live your life? Now, I know you're, you're going to be tempted to say, well, the Word of God does. I think I would believe you. But what really informs your life on an ongoing basis? Here's some things. Your education, what you learned all the way from grade school through graduate work, all the way up. Your experience informs how you live. Media informs how you live. Whether it's what you watch on TV or what you watch on your newsfeed, whether it's social media or what your friends pull you to or what the algorithms pull you to. What about entertainment? Man, our entertainment, the things that we choose to let speak into our lives, they inform how we live. Here's one. What about politics? Does that inform how you live? I bet you it does. What about your hatred of politics? Or what about your hatred of those who have a political idea? Or maybe not them, just the idea itself. Does that inform how you live? Oh, yeah, it does. Here's one of the things I love about the Word of God. It is so real. Sometimes, as we saw last week, it's even hard to look at. The hope that comes out of the Bible comes from a place of brokenness that is so real that we can relate to. The light that comes out of the Word comes out of darkness. I love that. I don't love the darkness, but I love that it's so real. So I'm going to briefly, as we prepare for our text today, I'm going to tell you a story about a dude. Um, he had the world by the tail. He was young. He looked good. He was well-educated, might have even been from a family that was highly uh, established in his community, and he experienced war, and it took everything from him, but God still worked in his life. But he chose to live his life by the word of God, and it became very bitter for him. Very bitter. Let me read it to you. Now, just to give you just a quick uh, update on this or what I'm even talking about, this is Daniel. Maybe you've read the book of Daniel before. And the, as the story goes, Nebuchadnezzar came to power and he fires a warning shot at the southern kingdom of Israel, 605 BC, and he takes some of their stuff and he tells his commander, hey, take some of the best and the brightest and bring them back to Babylon. And Daniel's one of them, and he was young. And Daniel rises to power because he believes Jeremiah. He believed that text that Jeremiah preached, which was, seek the welfare of the city you're in, and he does it. He rises to power. He sees the wonder of God in his life and in his friend's life. Think, you know, Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego. Daniel can, like, you know, lion's den, the whole thing. He sees the wonders of God in his life. When he gets to the end of his ministry, maybe even his life, because he could interpret dreams, kind of like Joseph, he has a dream that God gives him about himself and his people, and he doesn't get it at all. Can't figure it out. And here's the essence. The people of God are in exile. They're suffering. They're losing. They've lost everything. They're confused. They're wondering where God is. And then Daniel gets this in chapter 12. And this vision he gets 
from Michael, the archangel, the strong one of God. And it says, there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was the nation until that time. So you're headed to a place that's worse than anything you've ever experienced. And then he says, but at that time, your people shall be delivered. Then he goes on. And then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others stood one on this bank, this is his vision of the stream, and one on the bank of the other stream. And someone said to the man in the clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? In other words, when's this gonna happen? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and with his left hand toward heaven and he swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times and time and a half. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. How would you respond to that if you're Daniel? This is what he does. He says, I heard, but I didn't understand. And then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And Gabriel says, go on your way, Daniel. Just go on. For these words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. That's bitter. Daniel wants this kingdom to be restored. He's given his life to it. He's willing to trust God for it. And he does. And God gives him a dream that says, this is how it's going to end. He says, I have no idea what you're talking about. I want this restoration, but what are you talking about? Just go on. You're not going to understand it. You're not, th these things are sealed up until the very end. He didn't understand it. If you've ever been in a place where you have a hard time understanding God's reign, understanding his providence, understanding what God is doing and why he's doing it, then you're in a place that Daniel was at. The reason I read this to you today is because our text, chapter 10 of Revelation, answers those questions that Daniel asks in great detail. I love it. So Revelation chapter 10 is going to answer these questions. It sounds very much like the vision and the dream that Daniel got, but it comes with answers. Yeah, so now you want to go there. I do too. So before we jump into that and understand how God's going to actually answer Daniel thousands of years later, um, we, need to, we need to go to the Lord and ask him for his help. So pray with me. Lord, I don't understand. We don't understand we are so confused at times about how we should respond, how you're responding, what it looks like to live faithfully. Why would you do that? Why would you say that? Why would you bring us this? Lord, but we're going to humble ourselves because we are not God. We are not wise. We are not powerful to bring about any outcome, but you are. So we humble ourselves under your mighty hand, Lord, and we ask that you would bring us understanding by your spirit and wisdom. So we commit this time to you and we thank you. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. All right. So here we're going to ask the question that Daniel asked. Just three questions of the text in chapter 10 of Revelation. One is, you know, how is this going to happen? How are we going to endure a time like we've never endured and yet God's people be delivered, right? This is the kingdom of God. In other words, how is the kingdom of God actually going to come? Secondly, when is this going to happen? 
Now, we told you we're not going to ask that question in Revelation, but it, it goes there. So when is this going to happen, and what are we supposed to do about it? So how, when, and what do we do about that? So we're going to ask those questions of the text, and here we go. Chapter 10 of Revelation. This is speaking of the sixth seal leading into the seventh, I'm sorry, trumpet. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll, little scroll, open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice, like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded, so they responded to him. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about, this is the Apostle John, I was about to write, but I heard the voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said. Don't write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven, sound familiar? And swore by him who lives forever and ever. Right out of Daniel, who created heaven and what is in it, and the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, that's now, by the way, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets, like Daniel. Verse 8, Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I told him, give me the little scroll. That's bold. And he said to me, take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. Friends, how is the kingdom of God going to come? How is this vision that Daniel saw, that there will be a time that will wreck you, and the time, this is the time when God is going to deliver his people in fullness. How is that going to happen? Well, right off the bat, we see this happens how? What happens from the hand of God? Don't miss this. It's, the details matter right off the bat. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, and it says that he holds in his hand this scroll. So everything that's going to happen, how is God going to bring his kingdom? How is he going to make all sad things untrue? How is he going to vanquish evil? How is he going to bring this world to a place of peace and purity? How is he going to make heaven an eternal reality on this earth? He's going to do, he's going to do it by his own hand. So how does this happen? It happens from the hand of God. And remember several weeks back when we looked at the, the seals that Jesus was opening on this scroll? That was more about what the saints would endure. And as we get to the trumpets, this is more about what the world is going to endure. Same timeline, different perspective. And last week we got to the sixth trumpet. And it was rough. And, and what this text is, is an interlude between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. 
just like we had an interlude between the sixth and the seventh seal. Here's why. Have you ever went to a baseball game and it was so bad that by the seventh inning stretch, you're like, let's, let's just go before the traffic starts? Have you ever done that? If you're a Washington sports fan, I guarantee you've done that. And I love them. Friends, this is the seventh inning stretch. This is a break in the game where God's, and we're losing badly. And I mean badly. Like there's no way to recover. And there's an interlude here so God can reorient you to the hope that he had prophesied to Daniel and the hope that he was showing the apostle John. He reorients his people to this hope. This is the purpose of these interludes, both chapter 10 and 11, so that we might see that, yes, this hope actually comes down from heaven. How does it happen? It comes from the very hand of God. And secondly, how does it happen? Well, it comes from this mighty angel. Who's this? How many times do you say that in Revelation? Who's this? Okay. Kids, are you ready? This is a mighty angel, strong one of God, kind of like Gabriel. Think about what we saw in Daniel. Coming down from heaven. So here's the characteristics. Wrapped in a cloud, rainbow over his head, face was like the sun, legs like pillars of fire. Who is it? Did somebody say Jesus? I heard somebody say Jesus. Maybe it was the voice in my head. It's Jesus. But I thought it said it's a mighty angel. It does. One of the reasons it says mighty angel is it takes us back to chapter 5, where the lamb took the scroll from the throne. This is a replay of it. So there's some analogy there. But this is God. Angels don't come in the clouds. Jesus does. Well, I don't know if you're right. Let's go back to chapter 1 of Revelation, verse 7. I'll take you there. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, speaking of Jesus, and every eye will see him, even those he pierced. Oh, okay. And what about verse 16? In his right hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun. Oh, that's Jesus. And chapter 4 Verse 3, we see the rainbow around the throne. Friends, this is God the Son. But it says an angel. Yes, here's how I want you to understand that. Here's how Scripture would have you understand that. You remember in the Old Testament how when God speaks to people, many times he speaks through the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh. When God spoke to Moses through the burning bush, check it. It's the angel of the Lord, Exodus 3, that speaks to Moses. It happens all over the Old Testament. So you can think of this as like the angel of the Lord. This angel is mighty, has power, represents the fullness and the power and the presence of the risen Christ, God the Son, in, in a measure that we just don't even understand. So it's not, Jesus is not an angel. It's not. This is the angel of the Lord speaking power and presence. So how does this happen? It comes from the hand of God. It comes through the Son of God. And lastly, it comes by the actions of God. He's standing on the sea and the land. He's raised his hand to the heavens. Do you see, do you see how Jesus is doing this? He's connecting the heavens 
with all of creation, and he's testifying, and we'll get to what that means in a moment, but this is God the Son testifying. This is God the Son. This is Jesus actually carrying out the plan of God the Father, right? He speaks like a lion. Think lion of the tribe of Judah. The thunders respond to him. That's always judgment in the Old Testament. The thunders respond to him. He's God the Son. And to some that brings terror, but he is the creator king. For his people, it brings comfort. You have a hard time understanding Jesus when it comes to your problems because you think of Jesus in the, te- in the New Testament and he, you wouldn't have picked him out in a crowd. Let's just say that to be nice. He was unremarkable in every way. He wasn't like Daniel. You have a vision of Jesus where he stands on what he's created, both water, land, up to heaven. He stands over you. Everything is in his shadow. He is the creator king. He's Jesus over heaven, over earth, over us. Do you see that? Oh, I've never thought of him that way. Exactly. If you're going to understand how God is going to do this, you need to have a vision of Jesus that is more rich, powerful than one that we have just really ever thought of. So this is how God is going to do it. This is how God is going to bring his kingdom. Secondly, when is he going to do it? Well, here's what we know. We know that God is going to bring his kingdom in fullness when the scroll is opened. Oh, but that already happened in chapter 5. You're right. That already happened in chapter 5. Do you remember when John was weeping? Because on this scroll was the blueprint for all of history, was a blueprint to bring salvation, to bring peace, to bring peace to the nations. It was a blueprint to essentially bring heaven to earth. And John's like, everybody wants that, and nobody's going to be able to do that. Nobody can execute that plan. Nobody can open that scroll. And then Jesus, the lamb, comes and takes it. So this happens when the scroll is open. Because we even see right here, the little scroll, well, why is it little now? We'll get there. The little scroll is opened in his hand. He's not opening it. He's got it. He's executing his plan. He's bringing peace to the nations. He's actually judging evil as we speak. So it's going to happen when, maybe better answer is because Jesus has opened the scroll. This is his plan to redeem all of creation. All right. Are we tracking? Why is it little? That's a weird, it's kind of weird. Why is it now a little scroll? Let me push you to the end. God tells John to eat it. Think of it this way. If you were told to drive from your house to, say, vacation in California 400 years ago, it would take you a long time. You would have to build a highway. This, is not a, this little scroll is not a blueprint. It's a map. Jesus has actually done it. This little scroll is digestible for you. It's what it's like to live on the word of God. No, 
Jesus takes the scroll from the throne. And then Jesus tells John, take it, eat it. You can't save, but I've done it. I have conquered. You will eat that. You will delight in that food. I am the bread of life. Take that. You're going to reveal me. So it happens when the scroll is opened. Secondly, it happens when the, the trumpet sounds. So remember, these things happen concurrently. So yes, there will come a day when the trumpet sounds at the end, and that's the end of history. It's over. But the, the, trump, the seventh trumpet is on the move now. It's happening. God's people are being persecuted. The world is under judgment, and we're confused. So how much longer are we going to have to deal with this? Well, I can't tell you exactly how much longer, but I can tell you this. In, in Daniel chapter 12, when that question was asked, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And the angel raises his hand and says, for times, times, and half a time. What does that mean? Well, work with me. If you look in chapter 11, We'll go there next week. And you look in verse 3, it talks about this time of enduring being 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. If you look at the end of chapter 12, or not the end, actually, again, how much longer will the church be persecuted? Chapter, verse 6 of chapter 12, 1,260 days. And then it gives us right here in chapter 11, verse 2. Again, how much will we have to endure? 42 months. Three and a half years. Remember the number. Seven is complete. It's three and a half. So the big idea here is you will endure this, but it's not going to be forever. The days of the kingdom of darkness and the days of evil are numbered. Your freedom in Christ is perpetual. The days that you will live in confusion and trusting God when you don't understand are limited. They are numbered. It's going to happen for a time and a time and a time and a half. It's going to be, it's going to be something, but it's not going to be forever. So hold on. The scroll is opened. God is bringing this to completion. And this angel swears right here. This, this Jesus swears with his hand in heaven, standing in the earth and the sea, that there would be no more delay. So this is happening now. It's not going to be forever. So when is this going to happen? When the scroll's opened, when the trumpet sounds, and when the mystery's revealed. Look at this right here. We have to understand this well. But, it, but that, in the days of the trumpet call, that's now, to be sounded by the seventh angel, this is the age of the Spirit, the, the time from Jesus' resurrection to his return, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophets. So when is it going to happen? Well, when this mystery is revealed. What is this great mystery? Because Daniel's told, wouldn't understand it. Well, it keys us in a little bit because that word announced, just as he announced to his servants, that word in the original language is euangelizo, and it means 
good news sounds like evangelism, doesn't it? It's the same word in the English language. So when is this mystery revealed? What is this mystery? Well, friends, if you didn't know, here's the mystery. Everything that was lost in Eden because of Adam and Eve is going to be restored. Here's the mystery. There's going to be one that comes from Eve, a man. And he will actually clip the head of the serpent. This is the mystery. And he will be the son of man, like Daniel 7 says. He will be fully God, yet fully divine. And he will be the Christ, the Messiah. He will reign in power. And he will be a redeemer. This is the mystery. This mystery is Jesus. This is the mystery that Paul speaks about, the revelation of God in Christ Jesus. This is the mystery that Jesus came. God writes himself into the story of creation. God the Son comes, is born. He lives faithfully, yes. He dies humbly. We see that happen. He overcomes death completely. He ascends in power, powerfully. He reigns powerfully. And he's going to return to judge the living and the dead and to reward those who would even dare to trust him in ways that is going to just blow your mind. And he's going to establish heaven on earth. That is the fullness of the kingdom coming. That is the mystery. That is the mystery that Daniel wondered about. That is the mysteries that angels longed to look into. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Redeemer. Listen. The love that Jesus had for God and honestly for you was not understood. And that caused him to get rejected. It caused him to die. And it was bitter. He drank the cup of God's judgment that you might taste God's goodness and it might be sweet to you. So the mystery is this just didn't happen on accident or it's not something you should look into. Friends, this happened for you. Do you hear that? This happened for you so that your time is now, so that you might be the revelation of God. And this is sweet to us, just like John. It's sweet to us that God does that for us. It's sweet to us that in Christ, if we will trust him, we will never taste the bitterness of that cup because he takes it on for us. Yet it's bitter because if you love God like that, if you walk in his acceptance, you will be rejected by others. That was why it was bitter. Many of his prophets were, but Jesus being the most. Is it sweet to you? Can you taste the goodness of God's gospel for you? So how do we respond to this? We know how it comes. We know when it comes. So what do you do? Friends, this text is calling you, calling me, all those who trust in Jesus, to live loudly. You mean be obnoxious like a Christian who's obnoxious? No, that's me. I'm never worried about you guys being obnoxious. You're too educated, you're too winsome, 
You're too careful. Here's what I'm worried about. The people in your lives will never even get to reject Jesus. Right? Live loudly. You, you are the revelation. The revelation of God is seen and experienced in relationship with his people. The glory of God comes back to the temple and the spirit is the glory of God and he pours out on his people. You are the revelation of the living God. So live loudly. Two ways that we can do that. One is this. Suffer in hope. Endure loss in hope. What do I mean by that? Well, don't you mean that you just, if you suffer in hope, that means you just ignore the reality of your suffering? No, absolutely not. That's not wise to do. God speaks to lament. So suffering and hope means not that you ignore your reality, that you embrace the reality that is beyond you. You know this. Suffering and hope means this. Your future is always better than your present for the rest of eternity. And nobody can ever take that away from you in Christ Jesus. So suffer and hope. Because when you do that, it reveals not only to you, but to me and the people around you and others in your life, the reign of Jesus in ways they could never see before. When you suffer in hope, when you choose to embrace that hope that's beyond you, people will get a picture of who Jesus is that looks a little bit more like this angel who's standing on the sea and the earth with his hand to heaven instead of the misguided prophet. So suffer and hope. And secondly, share Jesus clearly. That's hard, isn't it? You know why? Because you're going to lose friends over it. And people are going to say, I don't know how you can worship a God like that. I don't know how you can embrace a sexual ethic like that that, the, that scripture talks about. I don't know how you can believe in a God that would ever judge somebody for evil. These, these questions are not new, they're old. If you embrace God's goodness, his sweetness, it's gonna cost you. Don't be afraid of it, friend. Share him clearly. Let it be a goal that people in your life actually have a chance to reject Jesus because they know you. Guess what? Not all of them will because God brings people to himself. We need each other for that, don't we? So what informs how you live? Politics, does that animate you? Media, entertainment, what gets you going? What gets you through this confusing time? Buzzfeed, it's funny at least. Eat the scroll. Eat it. This is what God has for us. It's going to be sweet and it's going to be bitter at times, but it's always glorious. And He's done this with you. Just feel the weight of this. He's done this with you in mind. So let's live a little louder. Can we do that? And if you're like, well, I don't suffer. Guess what? People in our church do. Get in on that. Help them. Love them. Well, I can't share my faith. People in this church can. Get with them. Learn it. And let's live loudly because we are the revelation of what God has done. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us 
to both taste the goodness of your gospel, to taste the goodness of everything that you have done to redeem us from death and bring us home, and that you would make us a better, clearer revelation of your reign over evil, your reign over suffering, and your beauty, and your power, and your love. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.